Amen. Thank you, Natalie. I'm trying to help us get it right. That is my goal. How many of you have ever done what's called an escape room? Oh, good percentage of you. So our youngest, Paige, we call her P, she loves escape rooms. And so for her birthday and different times, we, she's invited us to go. And, and if you haven't been, you go in, you have to figure out, like you're trying to escape the room, but it's like a, a puzzle. It's a, a mystery. You have to, to get the pieces all together. The first time I did it, it's timed, and we're trying to figure out, and I was like, what in the world is happening? The second time I realized a key feature in escaping the room, and that is the sequence of the pieces are as important as the pieces themselves. It's not like a jigsaw puzzle where you can just put any piece together. You have to go in the right order, otherwise it's not gonna make sense. You have to get the code from over here and figure that in order to break this lock here and you have to do all these things. The sequence is what matters. I wanna suggest to you that the book of Revelation is a little bit like an escape room that as we walk through, it can be challenging. And if you don't have the right pieces in place and the sequence of them, it can get a little confusing. In fact, I think that's been part of the problem of the book of Revelation is why it's been so confusing. And I would also suggest that there is a key foundational piece from the Old Testament that makes all the difference in the world. It's from a book of the Old Testament. Any guesses what that book would be? Daniel. Yes, the book of Daniel. Some of you have been wondering when I would get to the book of Daniel. We are going to look at the book of Daniel this morning as we prepare to go to chapter 8 of Revelation. In fact, you can turn to chapter 8 in Revelation. I'm going to have Daniel's key scriptures here. So Daniel is a wonderful book. I would suggest in this three-week interlude, um, we're almost done. For those of you who have been reading one chapter of Revelation a day, five days a week, I we're almost done. I would encourage you then to go to Daniel. It'll be a little bit of a nice break. There's Sunday school stories about the lion and the furnace, and it's a great book. I love it. But they have some end times things to Daniel, which is really important to help in our understanding of the book of Revelation. All right? So, so go to, once you're done with Revelation, go to the book of Daniel if you're reading along. Read a chapter a day for five weeks. Daniel, at one point, he was interpreting dreams for King Nebuchadnezzar, and then he had an experience of the angel Gabriel who gave him his own vision. Well, then he's praying and he's studying scripture, and he realizes from scripture how long Israel, the Jews, will be in captivity and when they will be released. And it's neat because God has timing for all these things. So he's pressing in and he's praying again and guess who shows up again while he's praying? Gabriel, the angel Gabriel. Some of you know your book of Daniel. Mm -hmm. 
And this is, it's somewhat of intriguing. We're just going to read a little bit of Gabriel's words. Daniel 9, um, starting at verse 24. And we should have that on the screens. Is that right? Yes. Seventy-sevens. We'll talk about what seventy-sevens mean. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgressions, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy one. One is a better translation than place. Now let's just pause right there. What is this prophecy about? This prophecy is a recognition talking about the Messiah who will come. When he finishes transgression, he puts an end to sin, atones for wickedness. And actually, many believe I would be in this camp that he is communicating, you could call it a prophetic timeline in these verses. When he says 77s, he's talking about um, 77-year periods. So 77-year periods. Talking about years. So if you take 70 and multiply it by 7, you get 490 years. It's talking about 490 years. 70 sevens. With me? Okay. Continuing on, verse 25, Gabriel goes on. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem had been conquered by the Babylonians, and they were waiting, and there was going to be a decree that came out that the Jews could return to Israel. Um, Uh, to rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens, seven seven-year periods, and 62 sevens, 62 seven-year periods. It will be one, uh, it will be, One, uh, it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, talking about Jerusalem, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. What's that talking about? Pretty evident. Jesus' death on the cross. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. All right, so he's talking about first seven, seven-year periods, and then 62 seven-year periods. So if you multiply seven times seven, Plus, 62 times 7, you get 483 years. 
not quite the 490 that Gabriel was talking about in the earlier verse, right? We have 483. You with me? Is that making sense? Not yet? So you've got, he just said he gives us a picture of a 490-year window. And then he says, by the way, there's going to be seven sevens and 62 sevens. And that equals 483 years. Yes? Should we just sit in that for a while? That was so funny. All right. Can I keep moving on? All right. Now, all right. So the question is, go back to that previous screen, Cindy. So if Gabriel starts out talking about 490 years and then he breaks it down to greater detail, from the time that Jerusalem will be built to the time that the Messiah comes and is cut off, and he gives another computation of 483 years, what happened to the other seven years? Can anyone find the seven years? We've, we've lost seven years. Why would he? Oh, keep reading in Daniel. Okay, let's keep reading in Daniel. Verse 27. He will confirm he is referencing the Antichrist, who Daniel will talk about. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. Ah, there is the missing seven-year period. In the middle of the seven-year period, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and at the temple he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Many believe that the 483 years have already been experienced. That was leading to Christ. And the seven-year period in which verse 27 is talking about is in our future. And I am in that camp. Let's see how good Natalie did in creating our chart. All right. So many would connect when Jerusalem, the, the declaration for Jerusalem to be rebuilt is recorded in Ezra 7, year 458 B.C. Then we have the 483 years. Some have really focused in on the dates, um, uh, the literal days, and that's 483 years. They've found it on the March 30th, 8033, the triumphal entry, which is Monday. All right? Um, then I would share this idea. There is a great, what's known as the parenthesis or pause in the prophetic timeline. And we are presently living in that great pause. 
waiting for the final seven-year period. And much of Revelation is focused on that seven-year period. Yes? With me? All right. Now, I, I know I've taken up quite a bit of brain space in a short amount of time. But I just want to then kind of, we're really going to do a survey of chapters in Revelation 8 through 11. I, I, I guess I just want to share with you, I changed my view of the book of Revelation from my study and preaching of Daniel and the, this. So when I first came 14 years ago to SEC, one of the first books I chose to preach through was the book of Daniel. Just out of curiosity, who was there? Do, I, do we have anyone? Oh, wow. A good percentage. All right. Do you guys remember that? And I talked about this timeline. And I said, someday, I'm going to preach Revelation. And then all hell broke out. But that's another story. And now, 14 years later, we're here in the book of Revelation. Yay! All right. So, so now, uh, we've been walking through, if you would turn with me to the book of Revelation, we've been walking through and we've gone through the first seven chapters. It's my desire that you'll be able to read anywhere in the book of Revelation and understand where it fits in the timeline. That's been my goal, and, and I'm hoping you can do that with the first uh, seven chapters that we've walked through. And I'm just going to connect now. I believe that that seven-year period sets up the book of Revelation, but we haven't gotten there yet. The first seven uh, seven chapters, it does include the seals. Many people include the seals, the opening of the seals in the time of tribulation. I happen not to think that they are. They're, they're more in the history. They're in the great parentheses that we are, the great pause. All right. And now chapter 8, I believe, is the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. And I also believe that this is going to these next chapters, which I'm just going to touch. I want you to think about how should I live if the tribulation were to happen tomorrow? How should I live in the midst of the seven-year tribulation? That's what I think these chapters really, they do many things, but they point us to our life as tribulation Christians. Look at uh, chapter 8 with me in Revelation, verse 1. It says, When he opened the seventh seal, or on the final seal, there was a silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Now, I my immediate thought as I was reading this years ago was uh, Jericho and the idea of when the Israelites were taking the promised land. Do you remember when they, they marched for seven days around the walls of Jericho and there were seven priests 
that would do the trumpets. For seven days, they would walk with the Ark of the Covenant with seven priests and the seven trumpets. And do you remember what they were instructed to say for those seven days that they marched around? Absolutely nothing. Even if those behind the walls of Jericho were yelling stuff and taunting and saying all sorts of things, which they probably were doing, they were instructed to walk around in silence, only the trumpets. And then on the seventh day when they walked around the walls, they'd been silent the whole time. And you know what they're instructed to do? Shout. Ah! Walls come down. Boy, this reminds me of the pause just before the shout. Just before the tribulation to come, there's a silence in heaven. And then all hell breaks loose. Like, literally. All right. Another angel who had, verse 3, another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people. On the golden altar in front of the throne, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people, your prayers, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took a censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunders, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. We were uh, meeting uh, a couple of Tuesdays ago, uh, ago in the upper room. That's our prayer and, and worship time. And we read both Revelation 5, where we saw the, the prayers of God's people mixed with the incense in the throne room. Remember that? Now here's a second time, a second picture of the throne room where we see our prayers have a place in the throne room of God. Our prayers are a part of the discussion of end times. Our prayers make a difference. Our prayers are being heard by God. And I ask the question, why? Verse 4, the smoke of incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God uh, from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it to the earth. Why were we given this picture of the angel hurling to the earth? The answer isn't Jesus. The answer is not the Holy Spirit. The answer is not the kingdom of God. So my three main ones... I think it's the power of your prayers being released with the power of God upon this earth. It's the role of our prayers being lifted to heaven, them going as incense before God. And then he takes the incense and the prayers and hurls it and there's earthquake and lightning and thunder, the power of your prayers. 
He's saying, I'm inviting you. I believe this is an invitation. And he's repeating it just in case we missed it in Revelation 5. He's saying, do you know that your prayers make a difference? Your prayers are involved in the end time scenario. Your he hears your prayers for, for justice, for healing, for truth, for grace, for forgiveness. He's inviting you. He's saying, I've set it up that your prayers make a difference in this world. One of, the, uh, one of the folks I'm reading in preparation of preaching Revelation, and I probably agree with him more than anyone else, um, even though our timelines are a little bit different, is Mike Bickle from IHOP. Some of you have heard him from International House of prayer, and he has studied this. He's known for his end time teaching. And do you know what the main application of his end times teaching is? A hint is in the name of his church, the International House of Pancakes. Yes, he's very committed to pancakes. He loves, no, they don't make any pancakes as far as I know. It's the International House of Prayer. He's saying, as you study these events, would it churn this, this passion and this desire to join God in offering the prayers? Two quick thoughts about prayers. First is, I want to encourage you very much in the posture of love. I know we're about to look at the seven trumpets, and there it, it, it feels like it's warfare, it feels like uh, good smashing against evil and you want to, uh, and yet I want to remind you of these words from Jesus. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. If we're right and, and as saints we're sealed but in the midst of tribulation you're going to be persecuted. And what you should do is purchase guns and swords and extra food and wait a second. That's not what Jesus said. He said would you pray? Would you actually love those who persecute you. See, I think there's an interesting dynamic that's happening in the book of Revelation, which I think we'll see in the latter part. But what, what from Daniel we understood, understand that prior to tribulation, the Antichrist will be revealed. And evil and rebellion will be increasing. And persecution will be increasing. And at the same time, I believe the power of God will be increase, increasing. And the invitation to love in response to that increased evil and rebellion. There's an invitation of the saints not to power up, but to love and pray. In fact, the second thing to be mindful 
of is, is that there is this beautiful uh, invitation of loving your neighbor. Mike, Mike Bickle wrote this. He wrote this about end times and specifically about the judgments of, of, the, of the bulls uh, or of the trumpets and the bulls, which we're going to read about. He says, God's end time judgments are released to remove all that hinders love. Well, that's a different take. The Lord will use the least severe means to reach the greatest number of people at the deepest level of love without violating anyone's free will. Would you be mindful as you read about the trumpets and the bowls and the judgments and all this happening, would you be mindful that God is building something beautiful? He's building a place of no more sin, no more tears, no more pain. He's rebuilding the Garden of Eden. Remember, he's, he's restoring. When heaven comes to earth, that's what he is working to, toward. And yet, there's a whole lot of junk and sin and rebellion and injustice that he has to weed out and deal with to get to that place of heaven coming to earth. It's really a movement, and again, I know the language and the pictures, they can be scary, they can be fearful in judgment, and yet he is building something beautiful. Read those with that in mind. Second thing about I want you to notice about prayer is I believe that God is doing an end times intercessory movement of prayer. He's inviting us to a cooperation, a deep partnership in prayer. So much so that, that the Spirit, we're told in Romans 8.28, that the Spirit helps us in our intercession. I think we're getting a picture of the Spirit's help. And we're told that Jesus, even though he's on the throne, helps us in our intercession. We're getting a picture of that incense mixed with our prayers, and it becomes powerful and significant. Reminded of James' word about Elijah, the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective, not without the Spirit and Jesus, but with the Spirit and Jesus, with the incense, going to the altar. When it's cast out, it's powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being. Even as we are, he was like us. He prayed earnestly, that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. He, friends, I believe he's inviting us again and again to this picture of prayer. Secondly, I believe that he is inviting us to be a prophetic people, a people who speak truth in love. That is really seen in chapter 10. Now before I get to chapter 10, I want you to just look at chapter 8. We have the silence in heaven. We have the invitation for prayer and then the trumpets. The trumpets are released. I'm going to let you read those on your own. 
just going to give you a few readers' helps. So the first four trumpets, we're going to see events in the created order. First trumpet is hail and fire, and a third of the earth is about born. Second trumpet uh, uh, burned. A second trumpet is the, a mountain is thrown into the sea. That might be a volcanic eruption. And a third of the sea is turned to blood. The, the third one is the great star falls. Maybe a, a big meteor falls. It's called wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter. The fourth one, the sun and the moon and the stars go dark. You've got these, these events in the created order that's happening. Then in the fifth and sixth seal, I believe it turns from the created order and we get a picture of the increased demonic activity that's represented to us symbolically. So the fifth uh, trumpet is these demonic locusts. And they're quite scary, actually. But I don't believe we're going to see these demonic locusts. I believe that these, the, they represent the demonic activity that is released from the abyss. And they're going to be allowed to torment the people of this earth. Look at verse 4 of chapter 9. They were told not to harm the grass, the earth, or plant, or tree, there is still a restraint of evil to the first, to a certain measure in this uh, first half of the seven-year period. Um, they were told not to harm the grass uh, of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Do you remember that from earlier in Revelation that those followers of Christ, the 144,000, they were given, you and I have been given a seal on our forehead. I believe that's the seal of the Holy Spirit. These demonic release that's represented by these locusts are attacking the people. You want to be a Christian in this moment. You want the seal of the living God. You want your friends and family and loved ones to have the seal of the living God upon their hearts. Great damage will be done. And then finally, the sixth trumpet, there is, uh, we get a picture of uh, the angel, which is really the fallen angel of the abyss, and we're actually given his name. In Hebrew, it's Abaddon, and in Greek, is Apollyon. That is the destroyer. My, my first thought in reading those many years ago was a very profound thought. I thought of the, the Ghostbusters. Do you remember in the original one when they're told to choose their destroyer? Does anyone remember what Ray chooses? The Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, and he's marching through New York. Yeah, there was a destroyer there. I was going to show it, but of course, we, we can't, we don't have enough time. But just imagine that. But there is an element I want, when you read that, I don't think there's a physical where we're going to see the locust, but think about the demonic activity that's going to happen. Fire, smoke, and sulfur is released 
in these, again, another horses and riders, but they're, they're so um, symbolic, I think, in nature. Again, it's this increase of demonic activity that's there. Then we get to chapter 10, and it's a little, uh, again, an interlude that involves John, and I'm just going to read a little bit of chapter 10. Look at verse 1. Then I saw, John is speaking, another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his foot, his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and he gave a loud shout like a roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. Many believe that there is revelation to come to the church, that there's still uh, the seven thunders revelation here. Now would you jump down to verse 9? So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll, he said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. And so that's what John does. He takes the scroll, he eats it. There's a sourness. It's sweet in his mouth, but a sourness in his stomach. I just want to say a few things about that. Is, is the Be mindful of the purpose of revelation. When Daniel was praying, the verses just before the Daniel verses that we read, Gabriel said this, he instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Friends, I think it's incredible that God chose to give Daniel and then John and really you and me insight and revelation to his plans and his timetable. Isn't that, I mean, the, the Daniel verses to see how the, the years actually work out, isn't that amazing that, that he would share it with Daniel, this timetable, and that he would reveal elements of the end, of the Antichrist, of what we will face, of the power of our prayers, that this revelation, it's not meant for us to go, that is way cool. That's meant first and foremost to pray as we saw, but secondly, to share that revelation with this broken world. That's part of the role of the church is to share the revelation of God with this broken world. But I want to encourage you this. That prophetic words were given for edification and encouragement according to 1 Corinthians 14. That Paul said when you speak, speak truth in love. Ephesians 4.15, instead speaking the truth 
in love. Look at your neighbor and say, in love. We forget this part. In love. We want to be prophetic. But we forget about the in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Friends, I believe that the church is called to speak prophetically. And in many ways, we're missing it. We hear prophetically. We, we, we think prophetically. And we hear politically. We think prophetically and we hear politically. When a word is shared like Josh uh, and others who have shared, you know, we don't like prepare that. We don't plan that. I wasn't on the phone with Josh this morning and be like, hey, Josh, could you share a word? And in fact, if you could share it from Daniel, that would be great. I don't think he knew I was going to Daniel. Did you know I was going to Daniel? He didn't know I was going to Daniel. And you know what? The, the word was so beautiful because he faced angst and hardship by a neighbor. And what was his response? Well, they prayed, but then later they TP'd her house <laughs> just to get back at her. Did that feel good, Cassidy? That no, they didn't, and I think that is, I was like, that, that is right, is we're hearing this angst, we're hearing rebellion rise, we're hearing this animosity, and we're responding, and we're choosing sides. And I don't think that's the prophetic call. I think the prophetic call is love. Now, yes, we should be engaged in events in this world. In the old days, we used to be encouraged to take the newspaper, read scripture, read the newspaper, and pray. Make the connections. But no one reads newspapers anymore. Right? Do we pray? So you could take your Bible, take social media, look at news on social media, and then play Candy Crush. <laughs> Is that what we do? I think that's what a lot of us do. It's an invitation to pray. Friends, should we be praying regarding Ukraine? Absolutely. We should be joining God in our words of power and praying for Ukraine praying for Zelensky and, and Putin, a change of heart and Putin, all those things. Should we be praying that in our nation, Roe versus Wade? Absolutely. There's this opportunity that abortions are greatly reduced. We should be praying that. I think we're missing. We're jumping into, we're jumping into the fray and we're choosing sides. And people are hearing almost as much anger and hate and judgment from the church as they are 
in the political corridors, right? I want to be prophetic like Jesus. You know, Jesus could have said a lot against Rome and all that Rome wasn't doing correctly. Did he do that? He spoke about the kingdom of God. The, the early church could have said a lot about Rome, right? They were being persecuted. You know what they said? They said, let's submit to Rome and let's love our neighbors. That was their response. I want to encourage us that we are meant to have a prophetic voice, but it's done in love. It's not to be arguing on social media. It's not to be giving the same division and hate that's heard from the rest of the nation. Let that go. That's not your role. Friends, I believe the rebellion is going to be growing. The sin is going to be growing. These acts of, uh, in creation, the demonic activity is going to be growing. And there's going to be some people that are looking for a people that are different, that are rooted in love that reflect the kindness of God, regardless of their political spectrum. Sometimes the church is more concerned about how people vote rather than their soul before God. Stop it. Stop it. Speak the truth in love. Be a prayer warrior. Here's the phrase I was jogging over the weekend, and I got this phrase as I was thinking about this, be a prayer warrior in love, loving action. Be a prayer warrior in loving action. Share the gospel, it's famously been said, and use words if you need to. Live a life of love. Share truth, absolutely but do it in love. Okay, now go to chapter 11. Oh, five minutes, good. We'll just pick it up. All right, I'm just gonna read verse one. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city, Jerusalem, for 42 months. And I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for uh, 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and the lamp, two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. I'm going to pick up chapter 11 in a couple of weeks. We're going to take this interlude of Jesus' uh, words at the end of Matthew, and then I'm going to pick up with chapter 11. I just want to point this out to you. So why 42 months? That seems so random. Do you know 42 months equals three and a half years? Yes, that's seven year, it's half of the time. And then also another, what seems to be a random number, that these two witnesses will prophesy 
for 1,260 years. Do you know if you add up those days, how much that adds to years? It's a little challenging because the Hebrew calendar uh, uses 30-day months, okay? So you have to work that. But if you divide that number by 30 days, how many days, uh, how many, what does that equate to in years? Three and a half years. You've got revelation rooting itself in the book and testimony of Daniel. Pretty neat. Some people will uh, consider the temple uh, and the two witnesses as symbolic. I don't think it's symbolic. A number of reasons I'm not going to get into right now. If you take them as literal people, who are those two people? We don't know for sure. Some have said Moses and Elijah because the, the miracles that they do relate to some of the miracles of Moses and Elijah. Some have uh, said Enoch and Elijah because they were the two that were taken to heaven and never died. Right? I think it's fun to think about those two things. I don't really have a strong opinion. Well, with the transfiguration, Moses and Elijah were there too, so I think there's a, a connection there. But... Um, Anyways, I think there's an intriguing thing there. But I want you to take away, and when you read chapter 11 again, which we'll, we'll do in the future, would you think about them as a testimony to us that they were witnesses of the one true living God? They were standing in the gap, facing persecution, and they were witnesses that God is a God who's coming, that Jesus is returning, and we're all going to have to stand before him one day. Now, we are halfway through, almost, I didn't quite get through chapter 11, but we're almost halfway through Revelation. I want to invite the worship team forward, and I want to read to you these final words of chapter 11 because chapter 11 gives us a picture of the end, I believe. It's yet another interlude that pulls us out of the timeline and looks at the end. It reminds us of where we're going and what God is doing. Would you just close your eyes for a moment? And hear these words, this picture of the end. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. And he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth.
God's temple in heaven was opened and within his temple was seen the Ark of the Covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. Would you stand with me? You'd like prayer maybe over there in this section, Scott and Pete, if you want to be available to pray for folks or if you want to ask your neighbor and if something really struck you in this picture of the seven trumpets. So would you go just believing the words of God, believing that he's loved you so much that you have a role to play in how this world unfolds. That you're to be a person of prayer, you're to be a person with a prophetic voice, that you're to be a person who witnesses, who gives testimony of the love of God and the return of God. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God bless you. We'll see you next week.